Um, okay, yeah. I just, I just want to give a quick testimony. Um, about two weeks now, I've been walking like I had a golf ball in my heel, and it was very painful. Um, went over, got prayer, very straightforward prayer. When I got up and left away, it still hurt. There was still pain. During worship, it hurt even more. It just it felt like someone was hammering it. Lord told me to pray about rebuking a spirit of affliction. So I did, and he said, sit down. I did. So I sat down and just worshiped him there. I am virtually pain-free. The lump's gone. Uh, so glory to the Father. Yay. Can never get tired of stuff like that, huh? So, happy Independence Day. The expression, hotter than the 4th of July, mean anything to you? <laughs> I got to say, my wife and I were on the coast last weekend. When you guys were in sweltering 114, we were at 70. <laughs> For you. <laughs> I look at my phone occasionally, check Grant's Pass, it's like, whoo! As I'm sitting there in a semi-foggy coastline. It was wonderful. So I missed Gareth Elkins speaking last week, which I uh, was really bummed that I wasn't going to be here and hear him, but I took the opportunity to uh, listen to his message uh, Thursday evening via the Vineyard website, and uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. How many here were here to hear Gareth? Quite a few of you, good deal. I've never met him. I've seen a lot of his posts on Facebook. Uh, I love the way he talks, I like the way he communicates, and I think him and I think a lot alike. So I just wanted to kind of start out by going, you know, I think he had a good word there, and I wanted to remind you of a couple of things that he said, first off. Uh, there's something about uh, remembering something. You know, I work, in a, I work in an industry that if there's a lot of information going around departments. We've got four stores, many departments, many people. I'm getting messages and phone calls all day long, and I only remember or follow through up on the things that I get emails for consistently because I have a hard copy of something. I have something in front of me that I can't forget. If somebody tells me something, I have only a 33% chance of remembering it. <laughs> I'm serious. 33% chance, that means a 67% chance that I'm going to forget and not do it. So I love emails at, at work. They really help me keep on track. But there's something about repetition and creative redundancy that is good for us humans. You never or very rarely will you get it on the first shot. So to be reminded of something that somebody said even a week ago I think is good. We need to kind of chew on those things. 
Meditation basically means to chew on something like a cow chews on its cud. You regurgitate it back up and you chew on it some more. You think it through, you process it, and it, you get more nutrients. The cow gets more nutrients from it that way. It doesn't just pass through and they lose two-thirds of it. They, get, they regain a lot of the nutrients they would have missed. So that's why we do creative redundancy. Clever word for being repetitious. And uh, there's my glasses. Oh. Wow. Hey, I just turned 62. Give me a break. <laughs> so anyway, Garris made some points. He said, uh, I really loved especially what he said about talking about the order of our allegiances. I don't know if you remember that. An order of our allegiances. What's most in our allegiance? God. And that's what he said. Number one was God and his word. Number one. Number two was the church, the family. And number three was the culture and how we influence that culture and how we try to change it. But he made a strong point about talking about our allegiance. Number one allegiance is to God and his word. And when, we, and when he, he made the point that as if we flip those and we make culture the first, church the second, and God the third, or God the second and church third, we put culture first, we miss the whole thing. If we're not making God and his word our number one allegiance, everything's imbalanced, and we're not going to be effective in our ministry in the church, we're not going to be effective in changing the culture. And I totally agree with that concept. And I find myself, I'm one of these kind of guys that I want to see the culture changed. I really do. I'm passionate about... Uh, Seeing the kingdoms of this world became the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, as Revelation says. That's, I'm so passionate about that term. But if that's my main focus, I'm imbalanced. I have to get God and his word on top. I have to stay with God and his word on top. And if I let that be my primary allegiance, those other things will be naturally fitting in their proper place. I really believe that. And that doesn't mean we negate the other two. It just means we put them in the proper order. It's important to be influential in the body, and it's really important to be influential in our culture. You can't throw those out and say, well, my allegiance is to God. If your allegiance is to God, it will be a natural byproduct to begin speaking to the church in a healthy manner and changing the culture in a healthy manner. It should be natural. And that's what I want, you know? I, want to be, I don't want to be doing the things of the kingdom. I want to be the kingdom. <laughs> that's a paradigm shift for some of you. <laughs> I don't want to do the things of the kingdom. I want to be the kingdom. I want my thought life to be in subjection to his kingdom. I want everything I look at to be filtered through a kingdom perspective to see it he sees them that I shouldn't have to study harder and read harder so I can do something that looks more like God I just want to be and that's a lifelong journey and I know that the majority of you are on that journey it's fun isn't it not always come on not always
He also made the point from Ephesians chapter 4, he says, out of our allegiance to God and his word, we learn to speak the truth in love. And that text from, comes from Ephesians 4, and that's where we get our five-fold ministry model. I'm going to read that real quick. Uh, it says, it was he who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be tossed, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every word of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So today I want to speak the truth in love. And hopefully I'm speaking it all in love and not with a little animosity because sometimes I get animosity in my heart when I see things that I think are wrong with the world or wrong in the church. And sometimes animosity bubbles up and I recognize that I see it and uh, I don't want to go there. I want to speak the truth in love. I really honestly believe that God has called each and every one of us for such a time as this. We were not born in the wrong century. We were all born at the right time for the purposes that God has for us. My generation is on the tail end of their journey. Some of your generations, the younger ones in here, you're just coming into your own and you're going to see some amazing things. I honestly believe that. My generation has to evaluate kind of where we've been and evaluate our journey a little bit and go, what kind of legacy are we leaving and what are we, what are we giving this generation to carry forward? And where I kind of want to go today in speaking the truth and love is, I believe there's some areas that we've misled the next generation. Not on purpose. It's just the generation we were born in. It was just the teachings that we grew up in. It was just well-meaning teachers trying to lead us on a journey and bring us to a place where I really don't think God wanted us to go. And you've heard me before. I like to talk about eschatology. I like to talk about the future. I like to talk about innovation and change and what is possible. And I like to talk about the very nature of God and his kingdom. Because God's plan has never changed. He still is heaven-bent on propagating and growing his kingdom. In the church first and then in the world. He has not given up on the world. He is not looking for an exit plan. And my generation has been talking for too long about an exit plan. And I really want to, on this Independence Day, see us take that and throw it out as much as you can. So you remember about a couple of months ago I shared and I was talking about worldviews and eschatology. And eschatology, if you're wondering what that word means, it's just, it's just the study of the future, future events, 
and the end of the world, possibly, from a biblical perspective. And, uh, you know, my generation was, grew up in a whole concept that uh, the clock is ticking, the clock is ticking fast, and it's going to end quick. Like God has this date written on the wall of heaven that when we get to that date, boom, it's over. I don't believe that. I don't believe that in the least bit. And I know our generation, my generation, has thought that way. And we've had an exit plan mindset that we just got to endure it a little longer. And then we're out of here. And I think that is so, so destructive. And we've, we're, reaping, we're reaping it now. Right now, we're reaping what the church has sown into the world, this mindset that everything is so temporal and that it's going to end soon. And in many ways, we're robbing the next generation of a future. You young people, man, I want to empower you. I want to see you guys. I want to see you have a vision that you're just so energetic and excited about your future. Innovations and changes are coming that are just going to be incredible. Breakthroughs in technology and medicine and everything else. You're going to see things that we only dreamed about. Some of you older folks are going, yeah, right. <laughs> it's hard for us to fathom because we kind of lived through the last 50, 60 years. And we've seen a lot of trouble. And in many ways, our 60-plus-year-old bodies are getting weary, and we feel tired, and we feel fatigued. And it's like, I don't want to fight anymore. I'm tired. I went to a wedding yesterday for a young man in his mid-20s. All of his friends were in his mid-twenties, late-twenties. And the energy in that place, the excitement, the exuberance, they all looked like they could conquer the world. And I was like, yeah, yeah, conquer the world. Do it. Have a vision. Get a plan. Set your heart to do something great. Will you have trials and tribulations? Absolutely. But so what? We all do. Set your bar high. Go for it. And I saw that in the, the young men and women of that, that wedding yesterday. And it reminded me of my youth when I felt invincible. <laughs> I don't feel so invincible anymore. But it was good to see that energy and that exuberance that they carry. And I just want to bless that. I want to see them empowered. I want to see them reach for the stars and go for it. And they're going to have to bring everything that they believe under the subjection of Christ also, just like we do. But that's okay. That's good. So I talked about, a couple months ago, I talked about the two main worldviews that we have today. Number one is a, a kind of a futurist dispensationalism where the world's going to hell in a handbasket and, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, it's going to get really bad. You know, and that's, that's the thinking that my generation kind of grew up in. And we've been dealing with that for a long, long time. The other view I talked about was the kingdom progressivism. And that is that the kingdom of God, when Jesus came to earth, he established a foothold of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that foothold is becoming a stronghold. And it is growing and it is expanding bit by bit, piece by piece, culture by culture, nation by nature, people group by people group. It's growing and expanding in the earth. 
And it will continue to grow and expand in the earth until Jesus comes back. Do you have a scripture for that, Max? Yeah, I do. I have a couple of scriptures for that. One of them is in uh, Isaiah 9 where it talks about, Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. Government shall rest upon his shoulders. There will be no end. No end to the increase of his government and of peace. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. No end to the increase. The kingdom of heaven has expanded a lot more on the earth in the last 2,000 years than we probably really understand. Especially the last 100 years. Another scripture I'll just briefly mention is uh, Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar has the dream. Remember the dream, the statue? Head of gold, breastplate of bronze or silver, I forget, thighs of silver, feet of iron, toes of iron and clay. And in that vision, Daniel interprets the dream and he says, you are the head of gold, O King Nebuchadnezzar, and after you will come other kingdoms, the kingdom of of the Medes and Persians, the kingdoms of Greece, the kingdom of Rome, and eventually the feet of clay, uh, iron and clay is Rome mixed with culture. Clay. Clay. We are earthen vessels. We are jars of clay. We carry the kingdom in us. Clay is a prophetic word for humanity. So it still had the iron of Rome in it, but it had the clay of humanity in it. And the ten toes. During the first century Roman era, the ten toes represent the ten kingdoms of the Roman Empire. And it's during that time, Daniel says, that the rock not cut from human hands will strike the toes and break the whole thing to pieces. And then it says that rock will become a mountain that will fill the whole earth. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus and his kingdom. So yes, I believe the kingdom of heaven will continue to expand in the earth clear till Jesus comes back. And I'm not in a hurry for him to come back. I don't know about you. I'd like to see his kingdom grow while I'm here. So I asked the question, which of those two perspectives that I just shared sounds more like the nature and character of God? As we know God, as we celebrate in worship this morning, which of those two perspectives sounds more like the nature of God? I think I set you up for the number two, didn't I? <laughs> but many of us in this room were, were, were brought up with perspective number one. So we're trying to sort that out. We're struggling through. We're trying to reevaluate. We're trying to redefine our worldview and change the way we think. I went through that. About 15 years ago, I went through that transition where I changed the way I think. And I just rejected that whole perspective anymore. I said, it's incongruent with the nature and character of God. I've got to rewrite my worldview because what I'm being told isn't fitting what I know about God, about His nature. Why would He send Jesus the ultimate sacrifice 
to die for us, if he was just going to end the whole thing in a miserable, terrible events, he has a plan, a bigger plan. He wants to do marvelous things. It's his nature to be progressive. So if I had a title for this message, <laughs> I would call it God is an Optimist. He's not a pessimist. And too much of my generation, myself included into that, were pessimistic about the future. And I think that's changing, and I'm glad it's changing. I'm glad we're getting our... I'm glad we're getting challenged. I'm glad, in, I'm glad that people are speaking the truth in love and challenging the way we think so we can reevaluate how we look at the future. So we can give the next generation hope. Give them an anticipation of the possibilities. You know, some people say a prophetic voice just stands up and declares what's bad about the world. It doesn't take a prophet to declare what's bad. News agencies do that just fine. It takes a prophet to declare what can be and actually bring it into reality, to speak it forth and create that point that suddenly a seed is planted and then it begins to blossom and grow. That's what a prophetic voice should be. And this church is great about that. We are a prophetic community here. I love it. We are learning to hear God. We're learning to see what He wants to do, what He loves, and we're learning to speak it into our reality and let it grow and blossom. I haven't even looked at my notes hardly. I don't, I don't, I'm so far off probably. It's ridiculous. So God is an optimist and his desire for the expansion of the kingdom never changes. I'm covering myself pretty good. Some of you that have been in the, how I grew up, you know, with the, the futurist perspective and, and the dark and dreary, dreary future uh, ideas. When I, read these, when I read these statements, tell me what comes to your mind. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. What comes to your mind when I say that? I can't hear any of you too well, but I know what comes to most people's mind when they hear terms like that. The end, the last days, the end times, the tribulation, the Antichrist, the, ultimately the second coming of Christ. When I read those statements, that's what a lot of people think. Those come from Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 has nothing to do with our future. It has everything to do with the first century church and the Jewish people and Jerusalem in that day. It was written for their soon-to-be future. And those events happened in that first century. And I can prove that clearly. Thanks, Asa. 
And there's great teachers out there that can prove that clearly. Matthew 24 is all about their future in the first century and not our future. So to take those verses and put them on our future is a very bad misrepresentation of Scripture. So you can throw that one out of your future's perspective right now. And if you want teaching on that, I can give it to you. It's easy. The history's all there. So if I were to ask most Christians how they perceive the future, how do you think they would answer? I hear it often. Oh, it's getting so dark out there. Ah, oh, Jesus has got to come back any day. This is just so bad. It's signs of the times. Darkness, dreary. Antichrist is going to show up any time. Jesus is going to come. I hear that from Christians. It's because that thinking is ingrained in our, in our being, especially if you're over 45. I'm 62. I grew up in this. I was converted under a futurist perspective uh, teaching. You younger people maybe have never really been penetrated by that, so maybe that doesn't cross your mind. I hope not. And if it does, I relieve you of that burden. Put it away. <laughs> you don't need it. It ain't in your future. You're going to see great and marvelous things. And I hope I live long enough to see those great and marvelous things too. So we need to speak the truth in love and say, hey, you know, can we trash can that? Can we move on from that? Can we rewire our thinking and think better and start shaping the future the way God wants to shape it? I think so too. I know I'm preaching to the choir with some of you people. Some of you, this might be shocking to you. So why do I think this is important to come to terms with? Why bother with this non-essential doctrine? Does it really matter? It does matter. It matters deeply. We've watched the last 100 years be shaped by that thinking. And its fruit is all around us now. We've contributed, the church has contributed in many ways to the de degradation of our culture by not giving them a healthy future perspective. What you imagine you will cultivate into reality. What you gaze upon, you become like. What you have faith in or come into agreement with, you empower. What do we have faith in? A degenerating world in increasing darkness? Or the kingdom of God advancing, growing, and light filling the whole earth? I want us to think like the last sentence. Let's be a kingdom people who believe that God is advancing his kingdom, growing, and light is filling the whole earth. 
If we change the way we think, we'll start acting the way we think, and we'll change the world. The imagination, it's an amazing thing. Everything that was ever created was first imagined. That's a little sobering. I mean, people imagined the automobile, and they created it. People imagined airplanes, and trains, and rockets, and they created it. Somebody imagined handheld wireless devices where you could talk to somebody on the other side of the world, and they created it from imagination. But if it wasn't imagined first, it had never come into being. So the imagination is a very, very important thing to manage. Hey, that's a good term. Manage your imagination. <laughs> I'm going to get a bumper sticker. Manage your imagination. I like it. I should write that down. You know a man named Elon Musk. He's building reusable, landable rockets now. <laughs> Amazing! Did you see the video of those rockets that went up and they came back down and they landed on the pad? I mean, they just... Landed right back on the pad they launched from. Unbelievable. But it was imagined. Say what you will about Elon Musk. He's, I know he's a little odd character, and he's got some strange perspectives of how he comes to the conclusions he comes to, and his worldview is kind of strange. But talk about an imagination where he in, uses it to invent and gathers people around him who are like-minded and create. It's amazing. Imagine if the church was like that. Ow! Speaking of Mr. Musk, I read that he has a three-step process in seeing a vision fulfilled. Here's his three steps. Clearly define the vision. Communicate it relentlessly. Work towards small wins. That's his three-step process. Clearly define the vision. What are we doing? Right now he has one that says, we will, go to, we will send men to the Mars by 2025. That's his vision statement. Will he fulfill it? I don't know. We'll find out. But he's imagining it. He's making some small wins to get there. Pretty interesting. Clearly define the vision. Communicate it relentlessly. Keep sharing it. Keep talking about it. Be repetitious. Be redundant. And for me to keep talking about the kingdom of God and what he wants to do and how he wants to use us to shape the future, to create a better future, redundantly, repetitiously, you might say, oh, here goes Max again. He's getting on his eschatology trip and he's going to Blah, blah, blah. It's called creative redundancy. <laughs> I've got to keep saying it 
till we see the vision and get it ingrained into us where we start making steps and we start seeing small wins where we're actually seeing the kingdom advance in small ways. And then maybe it'll advance in big ways. And I know that's a little tricky right now with the, the moment of history we're in. <laughs> Man, 2020 was a circus. 2021 is a circus. But the kingdom of God and the progression of human innovation and development is always on an upward track. There's dips in it occasionally, but it always increases. Ah, and then there's a dip. Whoops. Maybe we're in one of them dips right now. We got some political unrest, some crazy stuff going on in our political world, crazy stuff going on in our culture, the kind of the demoralization, trying to tear down our our uh, moral fabric, some demonic strongholds that are trying to infiltrate our culture and create a new morality that isn't moral at all. It's one of those dips. We're not hell-boned. We're just having a dip. The kingdom is still moving forward. Human progression is still moving forward. Don't get freaked out by the moment we're in. Although I admit I do at times. It is a little unnerving, especially as a prophetic person, and many of you are, you see what God wants to do. You see the bigger picture. You see the bigger vision. And you go, God, that's not what you have in mind. Why are we experiencing this? And it does something to your heart. It does something to your soul. I know. I experience that. Sometimes it rips my guts out because I know what God wants to do. And it's very unnerving to see the darkness rear its ugly head and try to steal it. And then I remember, whenever the kingdom advances, what happens? Darkness rears its ugly head. Every time. Jesus goes into a city. Demons manifest. The religious leaders freak out and attack him. Every time. Everywhere he went. Why should we expect nonetheless today? We're just seeing a manifestation of evil to detract what the kingdom of God wants to do. We're in the fray. <laughs> the war ain't over. But we're going to win. We know that. So what if we, the people of God, with sanctified imaginations, practiced healthy thinking processes and how we looked at the future? Sanctified imagination. What if we set our imagination apart to see as God sees and to evaluate everything with God glasses? Not rose-colored glasses, not dark, dark glasses where we can't see reality, not where like sticking our head in the sand. You can't escape what's happening in the world around you, even if you don't watch the news, like I don't. You know, I turn on the computer, I go to a search website, and right away, what's there? This slideshow of uh, news headlines. It's the first thing that comes up. 
It's like telling me everything that's wrong with the world and everything that is just so ugly and this is ugly and that's ugly and that's crooked and that's... And it's just like the, the world and this demonic power that's here working right now just wants to make sure that it's shoved down my throat so I can't see clearly. And I just get off my screen and I move on and I look for what God's doing. I don't know about you, but I'm too sensitive to that stuff. I can't, I can't let it in. I can't let it into my eye gates. It messes me up. So I just choose not to go there. Some of you have a stronger disposition maybe, and you can watch that stuff and decipher it and determine truth and error. All I have to see is an eight-word headline, and I know the narrative. I don't have to read the article. I know exactly what they're saying from the eight words on the headline. Wow. Sorry to drag you into uh, the mind of Max Rushmeyer. <laughs> so how sanctified is our imagination? So many things are trying relentlessly to pollute it. <laughs> Arts, entertainment, media, busyness, all detain us from sanctifying setting apart our imagination, to see as God sees, to have his heart, to look at his character, to look at what he wants to do and focus our attention on that. The worlds of art and media, entertainment and education has been trying to shape our image of the world and the future for the last 40 plus years. How many movies about future apocalyptic worlds have we seen? What is it doing? It's shaping our imagination. It's getting to think, getting us to think that that's the inevitable result. How many sitcoms have shaped our morals? Even the seemingly docile, friendly sitcoms are shaping our morals. How many news commentators have attacked righteousness and glorified unholiness? How many political initiatives have sought to erode godly values and accredit ungodly ones? We are being told how to think all day, every day, if we allow ourselves to be. That's why I don't watch the news, because I don't want to be told what to think. I don't watch TV at all, really, just movies occasionally, because I just don't want it telling me how to think. You think, oh, it's just television. No, it's not just television. Every commercial, every movie, every everything that's coming across those airwaves is subtly shaping the way you think. I'm speaking the truth in love, I'm sorry. Which brings us back to what Gareth said. What is the order of our allegiance and are you staying true to them? Do you value God's word, truth, more than every other opinion out there? I'm doing good. I'm impressed. 
And yet there is God, the eternal optimist. He is steadfast and unmoved. <laughs> he hasn't been shaken by any of this. He's not freaking out. He's not going, oh my gosh, America, what is America doing? Disrupting my plans. I think he might be a little bit shocked by what some people are doing. And maybe a little bit shocked that his church is kind of overreacting. I don't even have to tell you, I shouldn't have to tell you that we are not in that dark of a time. There has been so, 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 so much darker times, even America, even in America, than we are in right now. Are we in a decayed moment? Yes. But let's put it in perspective. I won't, I won't give you history, although I could. Of all beings, God knows best the frailty of humanity, yet is, he is always positive in his desires for us. God is aware of our frailty. God is aware that we are but dust. It's not a shock to him. And yet for some crazy reason, he chooses to use us. That is the one crazy concept. I just need to go up to the Lord when I get there in heaven and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> you could have... You <laughs> anyway, that's my mind. Remember, God created man in his own image. After the fall in the garden, we were infected with a disease called sin, but the image we were created in after his likeness did not change. We didn't morph into the image of the devil at the fall. But now, in an infected world, it takes some reminding of who we are and whose we are and of who God is and what he is still heaven-bent on accomplishing. There's some things in this world that are set against us and against God and his kingdom. And it takes some reminding. We have to remind ourselves. And we have to remind each other who we are, what God's intent is. His plan hasn't changed. I think God has more faith in humanity than we do. <laughs> That sounds weird even saying it, but I believe it's true. He created us in his image. There's something he sees in humanity that he's infatuated with. Free agents, every one of us, free agents. We can choose him or not. We can love him or not. We can serve him or not. It would have been so much easier if he made it mandatory that we serve him. Of course, there wouldn't be a thing called love. It wouldn't exist. But when we choose to serve him, how that must bless his heart. How must this fill him to overflowing. And I'm telling you, when we enter that curtain, when the veil is removed and we step into eternity, the struggles of this life... It's just going to be poof. And suddenly we realize why 
we stayed devoted to him through all these trials, through all these tough times, through all this confusion, how we continued to say yes to him and no to the world. And when we struggled and we fall and we came back and we repented and we still said yes to him, that moment, it's all, all going to be worth it. Every ounce of it. And I keep reminding myself of that because there's times when it doesn't feel that way. Amen? Something else Gareth said, which I thought was really cool, is uh, he said God, is still, uh, he's, God still wants to advance his kingdom. God does not make anyone submit to him. It is always a choice on our part. God is always drawing humanity to himself. But as Gareth said, he is not using the Taliban method. <laughs> you know what Islam means? <laughs> Submission. Submission. And the Taliban groups like that, they want you to submit by force or they will kill you. <laughs> God's not like that. Everybody's a free agent. Jesus comes on the scene, he says, Follow me. You don't want to follow me? Okay, sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, but it's... you have that freedom. Wow. It's not the Taliban method. It's all free choice. All right, we need to wrap this up. In closing, I just want to remember in Numbers chapter 13, you got Israel comes out of Egypt, remember? And they're in uh, the desert, and they're preparing to go into the promised land, and they send... 12 spies into the land to spy it out. So these 12 spies go in. They come back. All 12 of them come back and they go, wow, this place is great. It's abundant. It's got everything. Look at these grapes, man. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of them said, there's giants in that land and it will consume us. We cannot stand we were like grasshoppers in their sight. We cannot take the land. But two said, yes, we can. Joshua, a young man. Caleb, an older man. They said, yes, we can. God will give us that land. It's ours. We should most certainly go in and take this land. And I believe we're at another one of those moments. The future is amazing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of great opportunity. It's a land with giants in it. Are we going to be like Joshua and Caleb? By the way, Joshua is the Hebrew derivative of Jesus. And Caleb is from the tribe of Judah. Jesus was from the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it's interesting that both of them, the two spies that had the positive outlook on taking the promised land, are directly related in prophetic pictures to Jesus. It's God's heart. It is the heart of Jesus to possess the land, to take it, to go in and create the future. Now I know, I'm standing here going, man, I'm... 
I'm tired, I'm weary, and I'm looking at the giants in the land, and I'm going, Lord, I don't, you better be with us, because that looks scary over there. (laughs) And it would be easy to go, forget it, we can't do this. I'm just going to go hide. And what happened? They wandered around for 40 years in that wilderness until all of them died, except Joshua and Caleb. They held to the vision. They thought it was possible, and God kept them, and they were able to go in, but the rest didn't. And I don't know if we're at one of those moments right now where we need to get our hearts in the right place, or we may just wander around and die in the wilderness and never see the promise of what God has in store for the future. And at my age, that's uh, that's a little painful because I don't have that many years left to uh, go in. I mean, Caleb got to go in when he was 80, and he was just a madman. He was a lemmy at him, man. He's got his sword. I'm going to go chop some giant heads off. You know, he was just excited. I'm not so sure I would be so zealous as him. So I really want us to have the vision of Joshua and Caleb as we face the future, as we look at the future, even as we're filtering it through some of the dark things we're seeing, all the struggles that we're seeing right now, let's hold, let's hold on to what God wants to do. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at God and know His character, know His desires, and team up and agree with that. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. It wasn't easy for them to go in and take the promised land. They had to fight their way in, step by step, piece by piece. But they did it. I want to end with uh, some statements. I didn't write these. These are written by Chris Vallotton. Many of you know who Chris is. And Chris wrote these, and I've titled them Eschatological Core Values by Chris Vallotton. And I made a bunch of copies here. If you like, if you like what this says and you want to Make this a declaration of independence. It is the declaration of, it is Independence Day. If you want to make this a declaration of independence, I encourage you to come and get one of these. Chris says, I will not embrace an end times worldview that re-empowers a disempowered devil. I will not accept an eschatology that takes away my children's future and creates mindsets that undermine the mentality of leaving a legacy. I will not tolerate any theology or sabotages that sabotages the clear command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations and the Lord's prayer that earth would be like heaven. I will not allow any interpretation of the scriptures that destroys hope for the nations and undermines our command to restore ruined cities. I will not embrace an eschatology that changes the nature of a good God. God is good. He's good all the time. I refuse to embrace any mindset that celebrates bad news as a sign of the times and a necessary requirement of the return of Jesus. Ooh. Yeah. 
I am opposed to any doctrinal position that pushes the promises of God into a time zone that can't be attained in my generation and therefore takes away any responsibility I have to believe God for them in my lifetime. Even you older ones, let's hold to that. I don't believe that the last days are a time of judgment, nor do I believe God gave the church the right to call for wrath for sinful cities. There is a day of judgment in which God will judge man, not us. So this is a declaration of independence. Independent from a bad worldview. Independent from a future that has no hope. Let's break it. Let's get away from it. Let's move away from a dark hope, a dark future, and move into a bright future. Let's stand and pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have not changed. That your intention to make earth like heaven <laughs> still stands. And we say yes to that, Lord. We align ourselves with that vision. We want to see your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We give you the right to move to us and through us, God, and to do and to accomplish your will. And I pray your blessing on each and every one of them here, to, one here today. And those that are listening by uh, video later or, or audio later, God, that you would bless them, that you would stir them up with a hope and a vigor for the future, that you would make us like Caleb, who was eager to go in and possess the land and take what God had promised. And I just bless everybody in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you'd like, come up and get one of these. Um, I only made 25, but if you need, we need more, we can make copies.